everyone. This week we are presenting one of our Encore episodes. This is one of your favorite episodes from 2018 of the Spark Joy podcast. We hope you enjoy it and we're looking forward to seeing you at the top of next year. Happy holidays from Spark Joy podcast. The easiest thing you can do for the planet is to buy something that you wear more often for longer. So if you get a t-shirt that you wear for two years rather than one year, automatically you're saving 24% on your carbon emissions. And people don't talk about longevity when it comes to the planet. They're always talking about recycling. And actually recycling is like the last thing that you know you can do. It's still better than throwing it away but the best thing you can do is get things that last longer. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the KonMari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified KonMari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. Today, we want to imagine a life of less throwaway, buying things once, things that you never have to replace, things that spark joy and stand the test of time. Today's episode of Spark Joy is part three of a three-part series dedicated to closet joy. We'll talk to three guests who are revolutionizing the way we view fashion and style. Our guest today is going to help us curate a mindful life of less that extends well beyond our closet, ultimately impacting our environment and the global community. Tara Button, founder of Buy Me Once, is at the forefront of the global movement to change the way we shop and live forever. In 2013, Tara went from depressed spendthrift to fulfilled entrepreneur using a technique she calls mindful curation. Her new book, A Life Less Throwaway, teaches the steps to master this lifestyle change. Welcome to Spark Joy, Tara. Thanks so much. Welcome, Tara. It's great to be talking to you across the pond, as they say. Tara, tell us all about your path to a life less throwaway. Where did it all begin? Uh, well, as you said, I was a bit of a shopaholic myself. Uh, my mother used to say that it didn't matter how much money she gave me as pocket money, I always spent it straight away. <laughs> like I would just find something to kind of throw my money at. And I didn't put much thought into what I bought. And you know, by the time I got to my late 20s, I got into quite a lot of credit card debt, actually, which was pretty nasty. So I was a kind of pretty unfulfilled. I was working in advertising, um, trying to get people to buy a whole load of stuff they didn't really need. And then everything kind of changed for me. And it's going to sound really strange, but I was given a cooking pot for my 30th birthday by my sister. And the cooking pot is a very strange thing to change your life. (laughs) But this cooking pot did. It was a Le Creuset cooking pot that uh, has a lifetime guarantee. When I was given it, I just thought this is something that I'm going to have in my life forever. It's incredibly beautiful. It works amazingly and it's built to last. So I'm never going to have to buy another one. And it just lit up this light bulb in me. Like, why isn't everything that I own 
like this pot? Why is everything that surrounds me kind of, you know, uh, just for now and kind of a bit shoddy, like not not necessarily very well made, not definitely not well thought out. I've just kind of grabbed it from the shops, kind of creating this kind of cluttered um, existence. And this pot kind of showed me a different way. And I went looking for a place where I could buy other heirloom lovely items like this. Back in 2013, there wasn't that place. So I thought, well, maybe I should be the one to build this place, do the research, find the longest lasting, best made and sustainable products. The more I thought about it, the more I realized how much of an amazing change that would be for the world. Because at the moment, we're buying a constant churn of throwaway items. If we buy for life, then there's going to be less waste, less pollution, less Black Friday, like all the all the good things. And it could really change the world. What an amazing story. I, I'm often struck by how it seems that consumer products are just designed to fall apart. And so I think that that's really just an amazing insight. Your book a life less throwaway centers around this technique called mindful curation. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means to you? Absolutely. So mindful curation sounds a bit a bit odd, maybe a bit pretentious, but it, it does it does make sense when when you think about it. It's it's mindful because it's kind of the opposite of mindless. I think at the moment um, the whole world is trying to persuade you to buy mindlessly. They don't want you thinking too much because then you ask questions like, "Oh, is this too expensive?" And it's curation because it's not just about being mindful about each item individually. It's about taking a step back and looking at the big picture, a little bit like a curator in an art gallery. They're picking each picture individually, but they're looking at what the whole effect is and what it means altogether. So it's about taking a step back, uh, finding out um, what is meaningful for you and um, and as, as a big picture, deciding what you should be bringing into your life. I really like that question about, you know, is this object going to make me happy? Is buying this thing actually going to enhance my life as, as kind of the, the, the first step in deciding what to buy? In your book, there are 10 steps to mastering mindful curation. Could you tell us about some of those steps and how you get started in this whole process of looking at things a little differently and looking at your patterns a little differently? Absolutely. I think that the, the first kind of steps, the first half of the process is becoming awake to what's happening in the world and the pressures that are on you to buy. And as soon as you start noticing, you realize that they're absolutely everywhere. I mean, there are some awful stats like you see 5,000 5, brand messages a, a day or something like that. And so these subconscious messages are coming in from every direction and you know it's it's your television it's your phone it's the street posters it's your family it's so much pressure coming from every single angle to consume more so it's about noticing that and being awake to it and uh, and then kind of saying well actually I'm going to proactively decide what I need I'm not going to let this uh, message persuade me uh, one way or the other. Um, so that's kind of the first half of it. I also wanted 
um, to bring people's attention to the fact that they really don't make things the way that they used to. It's not just something your grandfather says. It's actually happening. There's some unfortunate statistics like, you know, appliances in our homes are breaking at double the rate they used to like in 2004 like I think a boiler in the 80s used to last 23 years and now it lasts 12 so the longevity of the products that we buy is really going down and that's a massive detriment to to the planet and also to our wallets as well you know we spend a huge amount of money just replacing items that break and for some reason we seem to have accepted this to to the most part and that's kind of what's quite distressing is that people are like well we live in a throwaway society we can't find i can't find a, a kettle or a toaster that lasts that long i'll just buy another cheap one and therefore it kind of perpetuates the cycle realizing that things aren't lasting the way they used to and questioning that and getting angry about that isn't is another um another thing on the list of of things to do but some of the most important stuff is about actually drilling down into your own priorities and spending some time finding out what's important to you and the way you live your life and what your values are and and therefore how that affects what you decide to buy. If you've got certain priorities in your life and you've identified them, then when you're making a new purchase, does this new purchase help you with that priority or not? And perhaps if it doesn't, then maybe leave that aside and get something that does help you or or not get something at all. So that's kind of further on the process. There's also a step which involves looking at everything in your life that you have already. That's the taking stock chapter of the book. And that's probably the most uh, Mary Kondo-ish chapter because it is very much looking at what you have already. But Mm -hmm. a lot of the book is focused on how we got to that point in the first place, how we accumulated all the stuff in our homes in the first place and moving forward, how we make sure we don't bring in things that we then have to give away again. So um, the Taking Stock chapter is all about finding your A-team, the, the things that, you know, as Mary Kondo would say, that, that spark joy and that help you live your uh, life's purpose thinking about it so that when you're making new purchases you buy more in line with those things than than perhaps things that are more impulsive. I have found in my work that and even in my life for sure that that the cost of something bears no relationship to how long or how well it lasts which is kind of interesting because something can be super expensive or a luxury good and it seems like even they sometimes fall apart more often than not. I completely agree that it just feels like we've we've really moved to a culture that's just about buying something and then replacing it with the next alliteration or the next version of it. Yeah, it's a nightmare. They've got us on what I call the trend treadmill, <laughs> where mm-hmm. every magazine and every TV ad that you see is kind of like, out with the old, in with the new, stripes are in, spots are out, you know. Mm-hmm. I can't believe she's wearing that. Oh my goodness, she wore that again. You know, the idea of someone wearing the same thing twice is kind of horrifying to, you know, certain people in the fashion industry. 
This book is about helping you get off that trend treadmill and finding what really suits you, like not only from point of view of kind of color and shape, but also from the point of view of the, the roles that you play in your in your everyday life, you know, what kind of person you are and what kind of person that you want to present to the world. So that you can, with confidence, the next time you feel like you need to buy something, go, well, actually, no, I'm happy with the choice that I made because I've thought about this choice and I know this color looks good on me and I know that the shape looks good on me and I know that it makes me look like the kind of person that I want to project to the world. I just saw on Instagram a picture of Kate Middleton wearing the same outfit in four different occasions. And Ariana Huffington was promoting the image. And so I love that these big public figures are now promoting wearing something more than once rather than having a fresh new outfit for every single Instagram post that they have. And I'm sure there's a lot of throwaway in that situation. Absolutely. It's huge. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a new trend. You know, the easiest thing you can do for the planet is to buy something that you wear more often for longer. So if you get a t-shirt that you wear for two years rather than one year, automatically you're saving 24% on your, on your carbon emissions. People don't talk about longevity when it comes to the planet. They're always talking about recycling. And actually recycling's like the last thing that you know you can do it's still better than throwing it away but the best thing you can do is get things that last longer that's the, that's at the top of the value chain because nothing needs to be made nothing needs to be kind of put more energy in it or taken somewhere else it's it's definitely the best thing for the planet and people need to start talking about that more I agree. And I think I have 11th step for you. Tara. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> and it came from something I kind of stumbled into doing the other day, which was going through everything I've ever purchased on Amazon. Going back to 2004, I think, is when I started purchasing. I was just amazed at how many things I bought thinking this was going to change my life and I absolutely <laughs> needed it. And I mean, I, I've definitely let some of the things go. It's funny, even looking at the things I bought more frequently, like for some reason, I really like Scotchgard for my shoes. <laughs> I bought like five bottles of that since 2004. And then the first thing I ever bought on uh, Amazon, which I think was a book for school, which I don't even remember buying school books on Amazon, but apparently I did at one point. And yeah, it was just so eye-opening and I was proud of myself because I did also notice that I've slowed down in terms of the things I buy or they've just become more reoccurring and intentional and thoughtful as mm. I've made my progression through Kanmari and just living a life of less. So I want to explore that aspect with you, the role clutter plays in, in mindful curation. I know you've had your own journey with clutter as well. Sure. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, people in my family find it hilarious that I am talking to people about how to be tidy. I mean, rolling on the floor hilarious because I am not a naturally tidy person. I am a naturally very messy person. I was the kid who was always having to be told to tidy up my room. And so, you know, my mother just finds it hilarious when I say that I'm, I'm talking about how to be tidy. But the thing that happens when you start on a mindful curation journey is that you suddenly 
start to recognize what's bringing you value and what's not. And the things that aren't bringing you value are a negative thing in in your life, essentially. And so then they become much easier to, to let go. So as I became more discerning in the things I bought, it naturally followed that I was able to recognize in the things that I already had, the things that were not bringing value into my life and things that I didn't want to keep for the long term and therefore were best um, given to, to someone else or recycled or given away. So I've found that through my mindful curation journey that I've naturally ended up with much less in my home and because I now don't bring anything into my home that I'm not going to have for you know at least you know a decade or so ideally the rest of my life I just don't bring in clutter anymore so uh, there's much less to tidy up I'm still not a naturally tidy person but it's so much easier for me to tidy up because I have less and I know where everything is so it's made all the difference to me. Yeah, it's really amazing when you realize if you have fewer things to clean, they tend to stay clean longer and it's easier to deal with. Yes. And when you put things away honorably, you also start to notice the things that you really don't touch that often, right? It's like they're just (laughs) in your home. They have a set purpose or their decoration and they stay where they are. And you can focus on the things that are active, you know, activity related that's what I've found to be the biggest benefit of kind of creating a baseline uh, in my home. It's just a place I can always bring my home back to when things start to get out of control or a lot of activity starts to happen in the house. Yeah, I think that's so important because I think, you know, part of this journey was about identifying what makes you happy and and what brings purpose uh, to your life. And and so through identifying those, you can then make sure that you have access to the things that you need to make that happen. So I identified playing the ukulele um, as something that brings me kind of great calm and and, and joy. And so uh, having the ukulele at a very grabbable place, like next to my bed or on the sofa so that it's always there so that I can kind of grab it and uplift myself at the end of the day has been really great and if it's kind of stuck in a cupboard you're just not going to use it so being able to identify what makes you happy and then making sure that you have easy access to that thing like whether it's a yoga mat or a ukulele or you know a treadmill then um, that really helps. After we record here, I have to prepare for my parents coming for the weekend. So (laughs) this is top of mind. Uh, There's going to be some cleaning taking place right after this podcast. So yeah, I definitely agree. Life is just way easier, (laughs) right? And uh, we can focus on things like uh, you've made the connection between mindful curation and finding your purpose and priorities and really focusing on things that matter. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that chapter in my book is very much about a deep dive and actually goes super deep. And so, you know, we start thinking about like, what is the meaning of life deep? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And and everyone's meaning of life, I feel is, is different. And therefore, it really does need kind of thought. But so often, we don't take a step back to think about what is bringing us meaning. What I know from my research is that when it comes to things that 
are going to make us happy in the long term. It's all about our community and relationships. Um, but it's also you know, about uh, spending time bringing things that uplift you. I actually have an exercise where you kind of plan your funeral <laughs> obituary and it's like, well, what do you want people to say about you once you're gone? That gives you a really good indication of what you really care about because it's so easy to get caught up in the moment and what you think you care about right now, whether it's kind of like, oh, I need to plan this birthday party or, you know, I, I want to have this thing so that I look a certain way. And we get so wrapped up in the nitty gritty of everyday life. We don't think about the big picture, which is what I'm trying to get people um, to think about. And so we've got some kind of big picture exercises in the book to, to work through. And one of those is to think about your life story, essentially, and what you would like that to be. Uh, and then try and think about, well, actually, what do I need in my life to help me with this? And often it's not that much, you know, and there are certain things that will help you have experiences, whether that's, you know, having a comfy place for your family to cuddle up on a weekend night or whether it's, you know, a car that you can go and have adventures in, you know, every family will be different, but focusing on only those items that are going to bring you that sense of fulfillment and and help you live that life that you actually want um, is something that um, I encourage people to focus on in that chapter. Yesterday, I had to go shopping to buy some jeans. I literally had no more jeans. <laughs> uh, the pairs that I had, 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 I've had for a very long time and they were just worn out. I had to get something just to have. And I was in the store thinking, I can't believe how much time I used to spend shopping. And I, it's like that time just seems so wasted. And it just seems like when I think now about the things that I value and, and the ways in which I want to spend my, my time and what's important to me, it's just, it's astonishing when I think about how much time I spent, you know, searching through racks of clothing or searching through shelves or going to this sale or that sale. I think that it's just such an important thing to, to start thinking about. Yeah, I think there's kind of two things at play there. There's, there's the kind of fear that I think fashion and marketing industries kind of put on us, the pressure to find this perfect thing that's going to, you know, make our, our, our butts look like Kim Kardashian or whatever it is they say we should be trying to achieve. I think there's so much pressure, especially on young people to uh, look a certain way, which makes them feel like they, sh they need to spend a very long time doing this. I would advocate to doing a whole load of research up front in terms of colors and styles and, and that kind of thing. So spend a lot of time researching up front and then write it all down. And then you know what cuts and shapes and, you know, which collars and which sleeve lengths and, you know, which fabrics you want to fill next to your skin. And then you have like a cheat sheet and then you'll never have to spend so much time again. And also looking for those brands before you start shopping that share your values. Because if you're buying from brands that are you know, doing bad things overseas and a huge amount of fashion brands is so unsustainable. People don't realize this, but the, you know, the fashion industry is the second dirtiest industry in the world, second most polluting after the oil industry. Finding those amazing companies which really do exist, where they're trying so hard to be sustainable, making sustainable fabrics, making sure that the 
chemicals that they use to dye their clothing isn't damaging the environment, paying people you know, a living wage so you don't get awful situations that you've got in Asia now where thousands of people are, are making our clothes and literally starving at the same time. Finding those amazing companies and supporting them before you kind of get into the shopping cycle because it's so easy to kind of go down a rabbit hole. I think if you kind of say, well, these are the brands that I like, these are the brands I want to support, and then going to those sites or those shops and um, and shopping within them really will help us move forward. And when you vote with your wallets, then you can create real change. So that's a lot about what, what I'm trying to uh, persuade people to do. I think that's a great point, Tara, because I don't want us to come across as like being anti-shopping because right? I'm sure all three of us, we still shop I and mean, we still need to buy things. I still uh, buy things on Amazon and, and uh, other places. I have my favorite brands that I go to first that, like you said, align with my values and have been around and my favorites for quite some time. Uh, so yeah, it's about being more mindful. It's, it's, it's not about totally not buying anything ever again, right? Absolutely. And I think it's really easy when you're uh, an environmentalist, I suppose, like I am, to to kind of go down the preachy route. But actually, that doesn't work. You know, as humans, we know that we need things to survive. You know, sh- not shopping is not an option. But what I'm saying is buy the right things, buy, buy the good things, buy the things that are going to last you, because that's the best thing you can do for the planet, buy the things that, you know, are, are made by brands who care about community and planet and, and buy things that are going to make you feel good in the long term. So you don't feel like you constantly have to buy a constant churn of them. So I'm definitely not against shopping. I'm against kind of mindless shopping. You are a big supporter of Fashion Revolution, which is really kind of about uh, fair trade and, you know, trying to, to direct people to to paying more attention to where their clothes are coming from. And this is all over your site. In fact, I have to tell you that I've actually purchased a T-shirt from a recommended vendor on your site, and it was awesome. How do you decide what goes on Buy Me Once? The system that we've developed on Buy Me Once to try and choose what we call the best in each product category is a series of questions. Because essentially, every category of item is different. You know, a t-shirt is very different from a frying pan. You can't kind of hold them to the same standards. So what we do is we compare and contrast the t-shirts, if that makes sense, with each other. So we look at what materials are being used. So we look for the best materials for the job. That would be sustainable materials, materials that are of a better quality. So they have longer durability. So if that was cotton, for example, you would look for a cotton with a longer thread so that it doesn't you know, do that awful bobbly thing in the washing machine. So after we look at the materials, then we look at the construction. So we would look for people who are putting care and thought into putting construction methods in to make the product either more durable. So with a t-shirt, that might be like double seams or something like that or fixable. So if it was a toaster, it would be about being able to replace all the components. We then look at the aftercare uh, policies of the company. So we really like companies that stand by their products. The people that 
the, the brands that say, you know, look, if you buy our products and we'll stand you with you and we'll fix it for, you know, a long le- length of time and we'll always make sure we have spare parts and we'll be, you know, helpful if you want to extend the life of that product. Um, and then obviously also we make sure that everything is ethically made and we also check to see whether customers who have used that brand also back up promises that the company are making are actually, they're actually sticking by them. Well, we can't have a discussion about quality over quantity without forgetting to address maintenance. When we have less, we wear it more. So quality is key and maintenance is certainly important. So do you have any tips about maintaining this mindfully curated wardrobe that is really conscious in alignment with the fashion revolution? Absolutely. Uh, the best thing you can do is you know, buy durable clothing and then make it last longer. I think at the moment, there are lots of people who perhaps don't know how to take care of their clothes, perhaps the way that we used to. Because clothing is so cheap, we kind of just bung it all in the washing machine. And you know, if it comes out a bit shrunken or a bit bobbly, we're like, oh, well, I'll just buy another one. The best things you can do is use really kind fabric cleaners to make sure that they're not being so harsh on your clothing. Wash at a really low temperature, the lowest you can get away with. I mean, a lot of your clothing, unless unless it's children, perhaps, it probably isn't getting that dirty. It probably just needs, you know, a bit of a, a rinse. It doesn't need kind of three hours of kind of 60 degree heat pumping through it, which can really take it out of your clothes. Wash in a in a bag. We're currently selling a bag which is called the Guppy Friend, which not only extends the lifetime of, of the clothing, but it also stops all the little plastic micro fibers that come off our fleeces and any clothing that isn't pure cotton it kind of ends up going down the pipes and into the sea and then all the little fish eat the little microfibers thinking that it's food and then we end up kind of eating a tuna salad with our underwear in it which isn't great um so washing in one of these bags can make a huge difference washing at low temperatures and picking your detergent carefully is probably the best thing you can do for maintaining your clothes and then just learn a little bit of sewing skills like sewing on a button sewing up a seam is super easy and kind of fun you get to feel like you know a a thrifty granny in front of the television doesn't take long it's really worthwhile and it can mean that a favorite item of clothing can last a lot longer and the thing is if you're buying clothing that you have bought for the long term you're going to want to extend that lifetime you're going to want to take care of it and you know that's part of what where the buying kind of comes in that's so important those are super great tips and you just made me think i've been wondering lately if kids actually go through home ec anymore because i'm so surprised at how the young people i run across don't know how to sew a button on so they just don't they just if a button comes off it's just tossed so it's super good tips how would you describe your own personal style and how have you pulled together your own wardrobe I found in the past that my style has been really erratic. (laughs) So, you know, when I had money and I happened to be near a shop, I would splash a whole load of cash on whatever was there um, and whatever the style kind of was at the time, um, which has like led to a very slightly kind of strange erratic wardrobe. And, you know, that awful feeling when you open your wardrobe and you're like, it's absolutely stuffed, but I have nothing I want to wear. And that's the kind of feeling that I, used to get constantly. 
when I started going on my mindful curation journey, it was really a process of doing pretty much what I've set out in the book, which is kind of doing your colors, which is something people used to do in the 80s. But um, you can kind of do it at home. It's literally holding colors up to your face and identifying the ones that bring out your eyes and bring out your skin and make you look glowy and healthy um, and bring attention to you rather than the color itself. And, you know, by the time you get to to 30, you have a, a kind of a sense of of the colors that you like, but you'd be surprised that actually the colors that bring you alive aren't necessarily your favorite colors. Those two mm. things can can be different. I never used to wear green at all, but um, when I went on this journey, I discovered that this dark teal green was, was really doing great things uh, with, with my eyes. And I actually would get quite a lot of comments when I wore this green cardigan. So I've proactively looked for other things in that color. And uh, so that and navy blue has really kind of come to the fore for me as a color. And, and they kind of really work for me. And then looking at the kind of necklines and, and dress shapes, I've kind of given up on trousers completely because I'm like, I don't like wearing them. So why do I have any? I just like wearing dresses. So I only pretty much have dresses now. And they're all more towards a kind of um, 50s style. I have quite a lot of lace. And so I've, I've identified the things that I love wearing. So now when I open the wardrobe, I'm like, I am very happy to wear any of these things. And I know that I'm going to feel great in in any of them. And that's such a wonderful feeling. Could you give us the example of something that you own that's kind of stood the test of time, similar to that Le Creuset pot that you mentioned, (laughs) something that has just stuck around and you've definitely only bought it once? Um, let me think. I'm just trying to look around. Are you thinking like in clothing or in? It could be in any category. In in any category. (laughs) Okay. I really appreciate this idea of buying something once, but even some of the quality pieces that I bought prior to Kunmari, because I've always been about buying quality things. I've just really had a problem with buying too many quality things. That was my problem. So I I do have some things that have really uh, hung around for for a very long time, but even some quality pieces have had an end of life. Uh, So just something that's really, it hung around a lot longer than you ever expected. I have a little pot next to my bed, which I've actually managed to smash twice, but I fixed it both times. And because it's had this kind of sentimental value to me, it's felt worth fixing. So, you know, if if that pot had not had the kind of emotional resonance, it might not have been fixed. And I think finding those things that mean something to you is kind of important because then you will put the effort in with them. But then, you know, there's things like, you know, my grandmother's writing desk, which I was given in my early 20s. And it's this incredible piece of furniture, which I imagine my grandchildren will will use. And it's, you know, it's very well taken care of. And it means something to me because I'm a writer, and it was my grandmother's. So it's kind of got the meaning there but it's also incredibly solidly made and beautifully built as well. So it, you know, finding things that are solidly made, but also have meaning, uh, those are the things that are going to stand you the test of time for sure. I'm definitely going to be looking around the apartment to see what I can also say that about. That's just great. I love that. 
you're a home organizer in addition to an author and speaker. So we have to ask, what is your favorite tidying tip? I would say my favorite tidying tip is to start with items that are not emotionally resonant. Because I think lots of people, when they think I really need to tidy my home, they immediately like, you know, they're looking around and going, oh God, how on earth am I going to even start? Um, I think the not being able to start is kind of where everyone stops. <laughs> a huge amount of people stop right there. So I would say start with your pants. Start um, and um, you're American, so I'm going to say start with your knickers. <laughs> um, start <laughs> with your smalls because if you start small, then you'll build up a momentum, you'll build up a sense of pride and a sense that you can do this. And then you can move on to slightly harder things as you go along. But you know, start with your spice rack or start start with something small, that's going to give you an immediate kind of boost, and something that you'll visually be able to see your progress, uh, so that you can then move on to the next step with uh, confidence. That's actually very KonMari in the sense that we start not necessarily small, but with easy. So I really like that tip. And last but not least, at this very moment, what sparks the most joy for you? Well, I'm incredibly busy and, 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 and hectic running the business. Um, um, I'm now promoting the book and thinking about all of that and, and helping people declutter. So there's lots going on, but I know that, you know, from, you know, running through my own methods, you know, the things that bring me joy is being creative. So I've eked out a little bit of time on the train on the way into work to write children's books which I really uh, love doing. So I wrote a children's book about an orangutan yesterday and it just re-energized and, and, and lifted me. You know, when you've got a day full of perhaps admin or things that are a little bit tricky, bringing the creativity back into my life was something that's really helped me. So I'm not letting go of the joy. So that's been great. Perfect. And do you have any parting words of wisdom for us? And my parting words of wisdom is if you want to do anything to help change the way that you buy, which will then obviously help declutter your life, then I would write an unwish list. Write a list of things that you don't need in your life and you'll feel a kind of surge of gratitude for everything you have. And that list will stay with you when you're out at the shops and stop you from making those impulse purchases that end up just being more clutter in your life. Thank you, Tara. It's been a pleasure having you on our show today and just talking about how we can live a life with a lot less throwaway and focus on buying things only once. My pleasure. Thank you, Tara. You can find out more about Tara by visiting buymeonce.com. Be sure to pick up her book, A Life Less Throwaway, and follow her on Instagram at Tara underscore button and Twitter at Tara button. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning, tidying questions or share stories about how Kanmari has impacted your life. Find us at sparkjoypodcast.com and click Ask Spark Joy to leave a question or comment for a chance to be featured on next week's show. While you're there, sign up to join our Spark Joy podcast community and get notified when each episode airs. You can also join the Spark Joy podcast community on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at Spark Joy Podcast. 
Thanks for tuning in. And we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Conmari Media Incorporated. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Conmari Media Incorporated or the Conmari Consultant Community.